So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to another episode of Sower in the States. My name is Chris, the MLS card guy, and today I am joined by my co-host, Nashi. How are you today, Nashi? Very good, mate. Very excited uh, for this one. Yeah, we have a guest today that needs no introduction. It is Tommy Scoops himself, Mr. Tom Bogert, MLS reporter for MLSsoccer.com. How are you today, Tom? I'm good, guys. What's up, Chris Nashi? Appreciate you having me. Let's get into it. Yeah, it's awesome to have you on. We really appreciate you taking the time. And we've got kind of a lot to get to. So we're gonna, just going to hop right into things. First of all, we wanted to figure out kind of how much you know about SoRare. If, if you know, SoRare people ever kind of come across your, your field of vision here and, and kind of uh, if you have a good experience with the community, I guess. I thought you were going to say, let's see how much you know about soccer or MLS. It just, <laughs> it just immediately grilling me like, oh, I'm dubious of, of your information, man. <laughs> or like maybe you, maybe you know info, but you don't know the game. So that's good. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, I like, like we were talking about a little bit before. Like I have a passing knowledge of so rare. Like I think that I grasped the concept and I was asking you guys questions before we started. So I definitely know a little bit more than I did before. But honestly, like somebody was asking me today, it's like, do so rare, do you have like a bunch of people from so rare DMing you? I was like, actually, no, like my, 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 uh, my interactions with you guys are like pretty wildly positive. You guys just say nice things and <laughs> interact with my tweets. Like I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I mean that genuine, it's easy for me to say while I'm talking to you guys on this, but no, like there's, there's some carnivorous people who come in my account that like that DM me questions all the time that like, and it's not the so rare community almost, almost always. And I hope that I didn't just, you know, open the floodgates for more people to realize that my DMs are open, but you know, so far you guys have been pretty wildly respectful and, and, and just like polite. So I, I respect that a lot. That's great to hear, mate. Yeah. Yeah. You are an absolute icon in the uh, Cyrus <laughs> arena, just because like we said before, it's hard to get that top quality information around the league leading into the first kind of topic. Like we've recently had some big announcements in and around the league and, and American soccer. Like the MLS just got this big deal with Apple. There's obviously Financially, that's on one thing, but it's also the commitment for such a big company's big. We got the World Cup stadiums just announced today. That's a big thing to look forward to. We've got a generation of talent in the US, like in my opinion, you haven't had before. The sport just feels like it's kind of a perfect storm coming up. And it's so rare too. We feel that we know the MLS is entertaining. They're almost just waiting to break through around the world to get out there. How much does that excite you? And like, so where, where do you see American soccer or soccer in America being in sort of like a five, 10 year window? Like it must be a pretty exciting time for yourself being at kind of the forefront of the, the industry. Yeah, it's extremely exciting. And I just even think, you know, I'm 27 or whatever right now. So I think when, you know, I was 14 going to, you know, even a little bit before that, before Red Bull Arena opened in 2010, so that's 12 years ago, they were playing games that the, metro stars and then the what turned into the red bulls before the stadium opened they're playing games at giant stadium like in the nfl stadium it there was not that many people there there were 
not a ton of high quality players. There, there wasn't this like youth development, this, this all, everything that's grown. And that, that was just, you know, 12 years ago, even just five years ago, like the league is in such a different place than it is right now. Like I'm, I, I do feel lucky that this is the time that I'm coming through in terms of my professional career. And, and in terms of just an American soccer fan in general, um, th- there's a lot of positive momentum there. They've, as long as, you know, I've really been around like MLS as, as like, you know, kind of inside the league or whatever, there, there had always been the talk about 2026, 2026. And, and I guess maybe being a little bit younger and naive, I was like, wait, like, why are you looking forward to that? Like, why, why can't it just be start to get better right now? And it has been incrementally jumping. But as you point out, like the World Cup is going to, you know, the last time the World Cup was here, that started MLS. Like the, there wasn't a league before the 94 World Cup. And that is part of the reason why MLS exists, you know, today. So it's just, it, it's a really good kind of confluence in terms of, you know, the product is getting better. You know, it's still got leaps and bounds to go, of course. Like, I'm, I'm not one of these MLS homers that, that thinks that it's, you know, the fifth best league in the world or anything yet. Like, there, there are a lot of quality players, but, like, with more and more teams, there needs to be a lot more quality. And, you know, sporting directors have gotten much better. Coaching has gotten much better. And more than anything, youth development, both in terms of resources and, and investment and, and the coaches and, and the culture that has come through. Like, in the past, there, you know, Josie Altador, if he was born in New Jersey, if he was born in the Netherlands, if he was born in China, if he was born in Senegal, that was going to be a professional footballer. No doubt about it. Same thing, Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan. These weren't like created because of development. These are just special talents and special kids that no matter where they were, they were going to find their way to the, to the, the top set games. Now, it, it's, it's, it's not like a golden generation of just it happened to be five of these guys were born within a couple years of each other. Now, like, youth development is a real thing. There's still special talents, but we're maximizing those talents. And we're also creating just good professional players. And, and you see that by with all the transfers that are going to Europe. And then, uh, you know, there are people smarter than me when it comes to the TV deal. You know, Sam Stageko, my, my mentor, Paul Tenorio, those guys are, are the better people to read it and listen to about the nuances of the TV deal. I'm definitely excited about it. There's no reason to not be optimistic at this point. Just again, as you said, the money, the the partner and, and the commitment, I, I I think, and I and I would be shocked if, if there's not an agreement with, you know, domestic TV, which I think is important as well when it comes to, you know, getting new fans in the door rather than just like if it's harder to find just behind a streaming platform, I guess would be my only worry. But, you know, I, I think that it's a really exciting time to be somebody following uh, following MLS and I guess American and Canadian soccer. So there'll be a little bit of changes too with the with the new deal in place. So every game is going to be on Saturday, and apparently there's going to be you know a little like whip around show like so, NFL Red Zone style. And are are you going to host that? <laughs> We've heard on Twitter that you're going to host that. Um, I liken this to when um, Donald Glover, childish, childish Gambino, does a bit when he he has a comedy special and he did a bit where like. When he was younger, somebody started saying, you should be you should be the new Spider-Man. And he's like, of course, I'm going to play into that. Like, if, if there's a small possibility, I'm going to say it. So I think it's more a handful of people are hoping that I have it. Um, I think I, I would I would love some small insignificant role on that show. Um, it is being produced by MLS. So I guess we'll see how that unfolds. I'd love to, though. And, and just even in terms of the games being Saturdays, they, there was a, there was a line in there that said, Barring stadium conflicts and, you know, uh, requested time slots for TV. So I'm curious to see how much heavy lifting that line does and, and if it's really going to be. Like, I'm sure that they're going to try, but, you know, NYCFC and Yankee Stadium and all these other places that don't have their own stadium, I think I think is going to make that a little bit complicated, but I, I, I like it as an idea. 
Nice. So I, uh, I want to ask you about another piece that, that just kind of came out here too. You did a piece on Giorgio Chiellini and kind of reading through it, you go over the fact that LAFC gets a ton of requests from aging superstars in Europe that want to come and live the LA lifestyle and just kind of mm-hmm. retire. And they don't think that that's what Chiellini wants. They grabbed him because they think he's a world-class leader and they want to win now. And they think he gives them the best chance to do that. Is that realistic? Is he going to start every game? Um, and how do you kind of see this whole situation playing out? Who kind of loses out from their LAFC's current team as well? Yeah, I think that's what I've been trying to figure out myself. Um, and obviously at 37, he turns 38 in August. I, I think that he's, like, he was still starting for the Italian World Cup qualification. You know, I know that it, it, it failed and, and, you know, he was still a regular with Juventus, all these things. So I he's got to come in and be a starter. You don't make the signing if, if you don't think that. And again, it, it could happen that he's not in terms of like, I, again, all the things I've heard have been very positive as they would be at this stage. I don't think they, they wouldn't be regretting the signing, you know, immediately after making it, but yeah, they, they already had one of the strong, strongest and deepest center back kind of groups in the league. So it's kind of difficult to think that, you know, Steve Trundolo has tinkered with three at the back. Sometimes I think that's something that we're going to see more just because Chiellini, Mamadou fall and Eddie, uh, sorry, Jesus Murillo are all starting quality players and, you know, particularly fall is a rising talent. And John Thornton was pretty assuredly like we wouldn't have made this signing if we thought that Mamadou fall was going to be blocked for playing time. Cause we think he's that good. And we think that, you know, Keelini isn't coming here to replace him. He's coming here to play with him, you know? So I guess that would lend you to Jesus Mario, but he's an in prime player. He's somebody that was regarded or is regarded as one of the better center backs in MLS. You have Eddie Segura coming back from a torn uh, ACL or torn Achilles forgetting off the top of my head, but he'll be back soon. And two years ago, he was the best 11 player. He was, you know, again, one of the three or four best center backs in the league in 2019. Like that's four starting quality, not even just starting quality center backs, like high level quality center backs. And then there's Daniil Henry, who's a Canadian international who was playing um, in Japan after he was really good for Vancouver. And then there's um, Sebastian Biaga, who should be a third center back somewhere. He's going to be like their fifth or sixth center back. So um, if I'm a smart GM across the league, I'm calling LAFC and saying, you know, Hey, how much would it cost for Daniel Henry? How much would it cost for Ibiaga? How much would it cost for Eddie Segura? I don't think that they would trade. They definitely, Fall's not going anywhere. And I think he's going to play a lot. I don't think that they would trade Mario or Segura just given how good they've been for this team. And I guess kind of their value on the international market. But, you know, I, I think a smart MLS team is going to call and try to pick up like Daniel Henry or Sebastian Ibiaga for cheap. So I guess in this scenario, I see you know, fall retaining almost all of his playing time. He'll probably lose a few starts here or there. I think that's, uh, it's going to be Chiellini and, and it's going to be some combination of Chiellini, Segura and fall. And I think there's going to be an, a lot of times where they start three center backs all together and, and play kind of a, a three, four, three or three, four, two, one, however it kind of breaks down on the field. Uh, but the, the person I'd probably be worried about in terms of playing time is Eddie Segura, just because he's coming back from a year long injury mid season and Keelini's coming in like that's that's gonna that's it's always difficult as is to get back to form and and you know shake off that rust and, and play into it if you're the fourth or fifth center back option you're not going to get a ton of chances to play through that so I think that his short-term future would be the one that that I would I guess assume isn't gonna I guess win back the minutes that he had when he got hurt if you're and- a Mamadou fool what an opportunity at that stage of your career with bags of a potential to play alongside a veteran yeah. a legend of the art of defending like Chiellini. I wonder if that played into their thoughts too. Not only Chiellini's on the field, but off the field impact on the rest of the squad. A hundred percent. 
hundred percent. And, and, and uh, sporting director, John Thornton was telling me that he's like, I think that he's going to like, you know, he, what he was trying to be cautious to not just be like talking all about the the things he can do off the field, because then it's like, Oh, then why is he going to play at all? Is he just going to be a glorified assistant coach? Like, no, he's, they still believe that he's, that he's, you know, not at the top of his game, but he's still a really high level player and a high level player in this league. But often he kind of came back to like, he's like what he's going to do in training for everybody. And again, not just center backs, but the whole team, but he's like, look, because of the position, like Mamadou Fall is probably going to be the, the person who benefits the most. And and he kind of asked himself a rhetorical question of, you know, if you could pick one center back in the world for, you know, to, to play, to, to learn next to and play next to it at, at the stage of the career for a 19 year old, like Mamadou Fall, who would it be? And, you know, we can quibble about who that might be, but, you know, Chiellini might be number one, like pretty undisputed just in terms of not just his quality, but, but tactical genius was something that was thrown around by John Thornton. And, and he's somebody that's just, insanely well regarded and not just for his quality but for his brain for his work ethic for everything else that he brings to the team so as you said i i think that this this is going to benefit fall as long as he keeps playing and i don't see any suggestion that he's just going to get benched absolutely with the so they're covered at center back in lafc they still have a dp spot open what are your thoughts on that yeah um it's what a luxury (laughs) like they they're (laughs) top of they're top of the league Chiellini hasn't debuted and won't debut for another few weeks. They have a new coach. Like the beginning of the season when you have a new coach and like six new signings, it, it's supposed to build. Your momentum is supposed to build that this team is atop this, uh, the Sporting Shield standings. They're adding Chiellini and they're going to add an, a DP. Like it's it's just insane luxury. Um, I, they're, I don't know who they're going to sign. I like their, their recruitment has earned the benefit of the doubt, whether it's young rising talent whether you know again everybody has a couple misses but for all in all this team is, is well regarded for their scouting network and, and everything else that they've done I wouldn't be shocked if it's another winger like they did this the last time they were adding a DP when they signed Brian Rodriguez like Carlos Vela was the MVP of the league and Diego Rossi was ended up you know winning a golden boot the next year and so they didn't need another winger and at sometimes it was weird and it was clunky in terms of the fit but I think that they're just going to go out and try to sign the best player regardless. And, you know, John Thornton has said as much, but I don't think that they're like, well, Chico Rango has been a good center forward. We don't need a center forward. Like if they decide that, you know, their top target is a center forward, they'll sign a center forward. If they decide it's a right winger, they'll decide and then they'll figure it out later. I want to get to, and I want to make sure that we get to here. Um, something that our community would probably kill us if we didn't talk about, which is goalkeeping. Uh, Uh Very, very big in the sober uh, space as we were kind of talking about before. Um, So we're just kind of whip around really quick and kind of get a little bit of the goalkeeping situations here. Um, I want to start with David Ochoa. What, where is he? Like where in the world is David Ochoa? Yeah, it's been a weird one. Um, He was playing recently with the second team. There was some unidentified injury, some kind of shrouded and mystery about, like you said, him just kind of being gone. Um, He's been with the Mexican national team a little bit in non-FIFA windows. Um, Yeah, his contract's up at the end of the year. Um, I had heard maybe, you know, six or eight weeks ago that there wasn't even like serious offers from Real Salt Lake, which was kind of weird considering that they could just lose him for free. And this was somebody who, us and mexico both wanted to bring into their senior national team at a young age so that was kind of odd you know i have heard in recent times i don't have anything you know detailed or specific but that at least that there have been talks or there, you know there have been but look there's there's a lot of clubs in in europe and and mexico uh, teams in mexico have long liked him just you know anybody with the mexican nationality makes it so much easier to come to league mx just in, for their roster rules so i think that he's gonna have 
a lot of not just options, but pretty lucrative options at the end of this contract. Um, and, you know, as you said, just the framing of the question of where is he? That doesn't exactly bode well for his future at Real Salt Lake. Look, things can always change. Um, these are all fluid. You know, I have to give all the boring caveats just to protect myself. But, you know, again, for any time I've been asked about David Ochoa, I've been assuming that, you know, unless something changes, as we see him on the field, unless I hear something different from sources around the league, like I'm just assuming that he's gone. Interesting. Yeah, uh, he was one of the big, big prospects. Being under 23 is a huge thing and so rare. And he was one of the huge, he was like the nailed on under 23 keeper. He has oh my God. played at all. His- his personality is, is like what he, he was in the second tier. He was starting for and winning, a, you know, a USL championship title. Like, and then he got the starting goalkeeper job. He's not shy. He's a fun personality. He loves the little villain role like he was doing last year. <laughs> you thought he was going to go from strength to strength this year. And it just hasn't happened. And like you said, yeah. you, may, you know, I don't know how this would be different if he played for a team that's on national TV more or whatever. Cause you know, I do think that, you know, it, it's not being talked about very much. And like, I don't know how much Real Salt Lake plays into that. And like, right. unfortunately, like I, you know, given it's my job, I, I try to make sure that that's to highlight things that might go under the radar. But, you know, there's a reason why people don't respect the near Crylock enough. And it's because RSL aren't on national TV enough. So all these things, like, I think that it's, this is one that's really flying under the radar. Yeah. If it was happening in New York, it'd be a whole different story. Um, let's talk about Miami. So Drake Callender has kind of taken that job. Is he yeah. going to keep that job or uh, is the starter going to come back and, and take it back i mean i i if i I was my decision i would keep him um i think that you you would look at what phil neville's done in terms of benching gonzalo guajin he benched blazeman tweedy last year he benched you know whatever ryan shawcross i think he was kind of injured but he clearly was washed up um before he was signed i that was a very very weird decision but regardless i he's i don't it doesn't matter to him if nick marsman makes more money and he does It, it it's it's this guy, if Drake Callender is who he believes is kind of the best option to win games, like he's going to play him. So I think that with, I don't know his exact thinking, but I'd be surprised if Drake Callender didn't get a chance to, you know, continue playing. Like I think that unless his form goes down, that, that he's going to keep the job. And then what about the situation in Minnesota with um, both St. Clair and Miller, both being basically starting caliber Miller's contracts up at the end of the year. Is this a summer move? Is this a winter move? Is this, you know, does Tyler Miller sign an extension like Dane Sinclair did last year and they just keep battling with each other? I don't know. What's what's going on there? Um, yeah, that that's a difficult one. I thought that there was going to be more movement on Tyler Miller before the the transfer the transfer window closed in May, just because at the beginning of the year when he was kind of the starter, Minnesota got like eight offers for Dane Sinclair. They rejected almost all of them out of hand and and they were rightfully so holding out for money. And then like, again, these were smart teams that noticed, hey, this guy is your backup you just sign him to a new contract where he's getting paid starter money. It's like 400,000. You can't be paying two goalkeepers about 400,000. I think Tyler Miller makes something similar. Um, so I thought that maybe not the exact same teams, but any team that was in the market for a goalie, like, all right, how much would it cost for Tyler Miller? So I, I'm sure those conversations have happened. Those conversations happened about every player, whether it's serious or, you know, insignificant due diligence. I'm surprised that there hasn't been more, you know, I do know that the club have been pretty, pretty adamant that like, look, we're not just going to give one of these guys away. Like we, you know, we do think it's important to have two starting quality keepers. And even just with the both of them, the last year, Tyler Miller won the starting job after four games and then was unavailable in the playoffs because of, because of an, an injury or, or COVID one or the other. So yeah, having a, having, yeah, having two goalies is, is super important, but you know, I'm just surprised that an offer hasn't come in where they're like, all right, that makes sense to move them. So 
I would, I guess, keep an eye on that as the summer happens now. But, but like you said, teams, any team doing it has to be all right. And then we're going to sign you to a contract, uh, a new contract. Or right. as you said, like, why would they, you know, put any, then, then it comes down to, they wouldn't put enough assets into the deal to make it worth Minnesota's while to say yes, because why, if he's going to leave for free anyway, just might as well keep him and then let him go. Is there a team that kind of strikes you as, Hey, this might be a good fit. Would have been Atlanta, but um, and and they did try to sign American goalie playing in Israel right now, Josh Cohen, who I I really rate. Uh, he was named Player of the League in the Israeli league, and and what you know what whether that's you know not the strongest league or whatever. Goalies don't get named Player of the Year anywhere. Right. Like so, I think that that and this is a team that played in the UEFA Conference League. They were in Champions League qualifiers, and they will be again this year. Uh, they were super interested in him. So I I I thought when they signed Rocco Rios Novo that that was going to be their, their goalie. And it was either going to be him or Shuttleworth uh, for the rest of the season. But I guess that would suggest to me that they're still in the market for a goalie. I don't know. They, they are, they're kind of stuck in terms of funds. I don't know if they could fit Tyler Miller on, on onto their salary cap. Maybe you would take some creative maneuvering, but I think Atlanta is a team just in terms of need um, sporting Kansas city. They, you know, Mealy is still there. And I do think that they believe in, in pulse camp for the future. So maybe not them, but I don't know, you know, it's not as obvious as as I kind of thought it was. Like when when New England were trying to sign Dan Sinclair in the winter, I was like, that makes sense because Matt Turner's leaving. But then they signed a goalie, and then and when Brad Guzan went down, Atlanta signed Rios Nova. So it's kind of like musical chairs, and and you know there's more good goalkeepers available, I think, than there are teams that need them. Yeah. For sure. Um, well, yeah, that's great stuff. We really appreciate kind of going over everything like that. We have a few questions from some of the people in our community, and we got an absolute ton of them, so we won't get to all of them, but a few that we just wanted to highlight. Um, one of our um, very close friends and a, and a sponsor of the show, um, John over at Predictology, wanted to know if there's anyone in the MLS that could make the World Cup team that's maybe even on the fringes now, a la Jordan Morris, Long, those kind of guys. Um, who are the kind of the MLS okay. guys that you think are going to be on that plane? I wouldn't call Morris and Long fringes. I, mean, well, I would call Morris bubble. Yeah. I'd like, I'd, I'd think, on barring injury, I think Long's going 100%. Um, Morris is going to be on the bubble. Areola, too. You know, I, I recently wrote that I think Areola, like if, if you had to pick right now, would be going, but things can change. Roldan is kind of in that bubble area, too. Um, Dewan Jones, again, I think that he he's definitely somebody who's kind of out of the picture, but if he does get a move to Europe, which is, is something that, that could happen this summer, maybe he has a chance to play in, and I know that he's MLS now, but the, my my hypothetical is if he leaves, so I don't know how helpful that is. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, Brandon Vasquez, I think Jeremy Abobasi, you know, I, I would assume Brandon Vasquez has a better chance in terms of coming a little bit out of nowhere onto the roster than Abobasi because Berhalter has just pretty clearly doesn't rate Obobese that highly. He they overlooked him for the U23 Olympic qualifying, which I thought was pretty crazy. But that again, that just goes to show that he's not, you know, his, his strengths might not be something that the coaching staff particularly value or whatever. So, you know, those two just given the goals and, and how wide open center forward is, if, if you're scoring goals, you're going to be looked at. So I think Brandon Vasquez would be, you know, my biggest bet in terms of somebody who's, you know, away from from the away from the group. And I get Georgie Mihailovic too. You know, he was supposed to be with the group in June, but he got injured. Uh, he's definitely somebody who I think he's one him and Vasquez, I think, are one of the very, very few players who haven't been involved at all that that have an actual chance of playing their way onto the roster. So we, you touched on um, Jordan Morris there who's a player who went for a stint in Europe, came back to the MLS, so worked his way back into the national setup that route. Um, one of our subscribers, The Good Place, is asking about another guy, Matthew Hoppy 
went to Europe. It's not gone quite to plan for him. He has a lot of potential. Do you see him coming back to the MLS to try and follow that route? Or is there any other players in that category who have gone to Europe, settled there, who might you you think might get a summer transfer back to the back to the MLS? I don't know. I, I know that Atlanta really wanted to sign Hoppy, um, and and this doesn't help at all. But I think he, I, when he was leaving Schalke, I, I didn't necessarily understand it. Like this was a kid who only got a chance in the Bundesliga and, and took his chance to his credit um, because they had no other options. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that there should have been a little bit better advising for him to say, hey, just stay with with Schalke and you'll play 30 games in, in the two Bundesliga. And, you know, that's the most important for your development right now. Not playing 120 minutes in Spain just because it's in Spain. Um, yeah, Atlanta really tried to sign him. Um, I'd imagine they, they in general still like him, but I think that they have bigger needs in terms of defensive midfield and center back. So I, I don't I don't think that they have a they have a U22 initiative slot that would make a ton of sense for Hoppy. So you don't have to worry about his transfer fee onto the cap. So any team like that could be a landing space for him. Um, Atlanta, again, is somebody that, that really did want him. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to happen or if he's going to, you know, just go on loan somewhere else in Europe. Um, Matt Miazga should come back. I think, you know, or whatever it is, he needs to find somewhere where he's just playing regularly. And he was on the second worst or worst team in, in Spain and wasn't playing at all. Um, I don't think that bodes well for, his employment options moving forward right now. So he's somebody who, who I could see coming. You know, people were asking me about Gianluca Busio. I I don't really see a scenario in which he'd, he'd come back. Like, he's likely to leave Venezia, but why wouldn't he just go somewhere else in Europe? Why, why would he come back to MLS after a year that's quickly? He played fine. I think he was getting Serie A minutes. So I don't, I don't think that that's somebody that'd be in the group. But yeah, there's, there's not a lot of, I guess, big play big big names or whatever or names that are in the senior national team that would be on their way back or you know, I, as best i could guess at least yeah i'm gonna try to get maybe one or two more in here and while we're on the subject we had a sr monkey so we're a monkey who kind of asked something along the same thing along the same lines do you think the wave of young homegrowns going to europe is stunning their development players like pepe kevin paredes um are they just looking for like kind of a european dream and they just want to play in europe no matter what um, and is that kind of hurting them in the long term? Yeah, it's a, it's a fair question, and I think it's a good question because I think it comes down to a case-by-case basis. There are some players that, like, look, I got to go right now. Um, I, I'm not going to pin that on Pepe because there were so many options. The timing was right. Like, again, it, it didn't – he went to a team. It's not like he went to Bayern Munich, and you're like, you're never going to play, obviously. So, you know, it hasn't gone to plan so far for him right now, but, you know, I, I think that that process was right. I certainly understand what you mean with Kevin Paredes. That's why I thought that he was going to stay for the rest of this, for at least this year, just given he was, he was about to, you know, be the first choice left wing back in a system that suited him really well and a system he was playing really well at. Um, I thought it made more sense for him to stay. Again, I understand why Um, I've heard some stories too about during those negotiations at DC, I think struck the same line of you should stay. (laughs) I heard that Um, he was pretty dead set on going, you know, kind of to the point where, you know, ball came to him in training. He just picked it up and punted it away <laughs> like because he was, you know, on the verge of a move and there was, you know, a couple of things going on, but you know, his teammates love him. He still loves the club, like all that stuff. So I, uh, I thought that that would have made sense for him to stay at least for another six months. Um, so yeah, I look at it as a case by case basis and like the, the teams that have a plan for you and, and rather than just, Hey, we want to buy this guy. Like I, I think about, Red Bull Salzburg signing Brendan Aronson like Aronson could have went to a Bundesliga club he could have went elsewhere 
Um, you know, Ernst Tanner, their Philly sporting director came from Salzburg. So that helped obviously a lot just in terms of, of the plan and development and everything. But that's the kind of thing that, that the, the kids need to, and, and the kids representation need to, you know, look at it. It doesn't, maybe if you're not getting every single dollar, you might be able to get right now. Like you have to think of your long-term value and how that'll play out. So yeah, that's definitely something that's come up. That's, you know, and, and we'll go back to Hoppy, like he probably should have just stayed at Schalke, but he didn't. And I'm sure he's getting paid more at Mallorca. And, and like, again, I don't blame him for doing that. Like, you know, go get your bag and all that. But it, it is definitely something that, you know, it it's, you know, Europe isn't just a magic, magical elixir for every single player. Like it depends on what stage your career, it depends on your club situation and, and where you're going. So it's definitely something that, that can be a concern. We'll get maybe one more question here and our good friend. So we're a prospect who's really big in the community. He wants to know, um, which franchise plays or recruits the most kind of like a money ball team uses really good analytics. Um, what's your kind of vibe on that? Analytics. That's a great question. Um, the people at American soccer analysis always put out kind of their rankings for tiers when it comes to analysis. And I'm just kind of struggling. LAFC do this really well. Their assistant GM is a guy by the name of Will Koontz. He play, he played, he, he, he went from an intern with the New York Yankees baseball team and, and, rose their ranks really quickly because of kind of his analytical bent and he's done the same kind of around mls he's a really interesting guy so lafc is, is a team that that does it. nashville absolutely I, I put them in the top tier i you know oh my god and, uh, colorado rapids those these are, these are all really coming to me right now colorado rapids like you look at some of the things they do that a lot of that is an analytically driven um again it's not like baseball so it's never going to be like that just because of the nature of the games and which is i prefer it that way i think it's boring if you just look at it like a spreadsheet but you know colorado have a lot of you know they have some uh what's the word patented algorithms so what is some of the things they have aren't public tools they're their own tools and like so colorado is a team that and, and again in terms of uh recruit benefit for the doubt recruitment colorado's in that elite category for me it's like them philly lefc like some of these teams like Look again. Everybody gets things wrong, but for the most part, I just assume when they if if, if they sign a player that they're going to be good. Are, there, there's this Brazilian center forward that um, the name's escaping me, but I remember talking to people. I was like, "Hey, this is a guy that that you know might come to MLS," and and then it was like, "Oh, like Philly and Colorado are interested," and I was like, "This must be a good player. There's no shot that this is." Or, or if, if not really good, then at least really undervalued because these two teams, if both of them are looking at this kid, then you, then you got something here. Yeah, that, that's that's one, thing that, one thing I realized being more integrated, more interested in the MLS is that there are, Philadelphia really stands out when you say it there. It's like, they just seem to be good every year. It must be deeper than just recruitment. It's the system, it's the way they operate. You know, they haven't necessarily got the biggest stars or the biggest names, but- their budget is so low like it's yeah. it's like among routinely among the bottom three in the league yeah so like what wow. what do you think like yeah there's there's a few franchises like this what do you think like is the is it like the management is it like the infrastructure is it strictly recruitment which recruitment in all soccer is really important but in the mls it seems to be really make or break you know for a lot of teams what is the thing that just keeps year on year these same franchises being there or thereabouts come the come playoff time it's a little bit of everything it, it, it's that in it, it is it's the recruitment which is so important but it's the infrastructure that these teams have like again like philly's training center is, is well regarded and and the things that they care about are you know very smart it's it's the coaching you know jim Curtin and philly we're gonna stick with them like 
it's one thing to you know have somebody who's you know max like you know kai wagner was in the german third tier and he could be a decent player or whatever but a, a, a talented player but you still need the coaching staff to get the most out of him and it to be the right fit so it's recruitment it's coaching it's development infrastructure and some of these teams like colorado and philly you know philly more so i think or maybe more so in terms of like the academy they if if you're getting players that you either drafted or produced as homegrowns that are performing at even just above even just average like that's that's such a useful way in, in a salary cap league where they're hitting your budget at zero dollars they're not taking up one of your senior roster spots so even if they're not contributing it, you don't lose anything but if they're if they're occupying starting spots like then you have even more money in your budget to spend on on all these other spots so i think that that's like they've Colorado and Philly are two teams where their dollars go so much further than all, all these other teams. And, and it, it, it's a lot with recruitment, like Pori Smith, the sporting director in Colorado is, is really good at his job. Ernst Tanner, I've been saying for a while is really good. And then you have a team like Seattle who has one of these sporting directors who is one of the best in the league. And, and I, I genuinely believe the best ever what he did with real salt Lake before he got to Seattle. And then you have a team that spends more. And then you get this dynasty that that is the Seattle Sounders. So it all starts there, but it has to do with infrastructure, coaching, coaching and culture as well. Yeah, we've talked a lot about how the MLS is different to, say, Liverpool or Man City, where you, you know, if you're Liverpool, you have this amazing front three, you still go spend 50 million on another striker just doesn't work like that. Like you have a budget that you have to stay in and you have to mm-hmm. use your money so smartly in this league um, to really uh, get the most out of your team. But we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on. If you ever want to come on again, our DMs are always open for you <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, we can make this a semi-regular thing. I'm always down. For sure. Thanks so appreciate much. it. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Tom. All right, we're back. It's Sunday night. Um, we just finished the interview with Tom on Thursday. It was absolutely brilliant. Well, top guy, really down to earth, chatting away. Like his his knowledge is so important for MLS fans, all you MLS fans out there, but also in the so rare community. So rare is a game where we're playing basically fantasy football, um, fantasy soccer with our cards, with our NFT cards, and we're trying to get on top of team news transfers and that becomes really important if you want to compete against all the other managers out there um what kind of impact do you think tom's work and people like him have on the story community chris yeah, I mean, it's it's huge, right? Like we were talking with Tom about his kind of interactions with the server community and how he kind of viewed everyone as being very nice and being um, very helpful. And and that is kind of part of the draw of Sorer is it's a real community of people who all kind of, you know, push the same way and think the same way. And uh, we kind of, you know, become instantly best friends. I mean, even you and me, Nashi, we never knew each other before Sorer. We just kind of started doing this. Um, so it's really a great place to kind of look and, and find some like-minded people. Um, obviously winning is fun, like winning the prizes and everything is fun. Um, but I mean, to kind of go back to your question, the work that Tom does is absolutely immense and, and not just Tom, everybody else who kind of covers the league as well. I mean, we've talked to Alex Winley in the past. She was great as well, um, but it's huge, right? Like to, in order to play fantasy very well, you have to know what's going on. And these guys that get in there and have the connections um, and can really provide info that's maybe um, not necessarily not public, but isn't, you know, well-known is huge, right? You have to be following Tom if you want to be successful in the server MLS space. So um, yeah, big shout out to Tom. Really, really appreciate him. Um, if you are um, not in SoRare and you are interested in, in, you know, getting into the community and kind of talking to people, 
Um, we have a discord that you can get into and you can kind of talk to people and see how it goes. Um, we'll have the link in the description for that. We'll also have a link to the website itself. Um, so if you want to get in and check it out, that's how you can do that. Um, but yeah, what is your, what is your kind of thoughts on, um, what so rare means to you, Nashi, just for people who may not know so rare and who may be in the, uh, just in the MLS world in general. Yeah. I mean, what it is, is it's, it's a product that piggybacks off of the sport. Soccer. it's for people who love the sport. It's a way to engage in a new way with soccer. It's a, it's a game. There's a competitive drive. There's ways to make money if you're good at the game. But fundamentally, for me, it's about enjoying football, enjoying soccer, learning about new leagues, new players around the world, because it's a global game too. And I think like it's brought me closer to so many different leagues, including the MLS. Three years ago, I had a passing knowledge of the MLS. Now, because of so rare, through the people I've met like yourself, I'm fully invested. I'm, I'm on watching five, six games a weekend. I absolutely love it. So, yeah, it's given a lot to me. And, yeah, I mean, everyone who plays it already knows that. But I'm sure there's people out there maybe listening off the back of, uh, of Tom who are a bit curious about that. But, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend anyone check it out at their own risk and all that, all that good stuff. But, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Yeah, we were talking beforehand, and you watched, like, seven games this week. I love it. So you're definitely full-blown – MLS fan at this point um, and we'll go ahead and hop in so people who followed the show for a little while know that we typically run through games right at the beginning you know as kind of a this is what just happened we wanted to make sure that we got Tom uh, his his uh, 15 seconds of fame in the beginning there um, but we're going to go ahead and whip through the games really quick because like you said it is Sunday night now so most of the games are finished um, I'll just kind of open it up to you where do you want to go first with this one Nashi what what game kind of stood out to you um, well, yeah, I mean, it seems like a long time ago, so I did watch a lot of games this weekend, but <laughs> I, I started off yesterday catching the uh, second half of a big sort of heavyweight game of the weekend, the Sounders mm -hmm. and LAFC, and it was kind of, as I expected, both teams looked pretty good, both, both sides of the ball, it was a close encounter, Seattle took a lead early on, and... Uh, but LFC, you know, they're a good side. They got firepower and they were sort of pushing to the end. I think about 10 minutes ago, Arango got a really nice header. And 1-1, uh, I was kind of thinking, you know, this probably going to end up pretty close game. A draw seems about fair. And uh, yeah, yeah, two good teams. I think, they, like we said, Sounders had a bit of a slow start, which is to be expected. LFC have just been kind of doing their thing, cruising. I expect both of these teams to sort of start heating up now towards the playoffs and um yeah one thing i know was carlos vela didn't start a game but he came on for the second half so um make it up what you will i'm not I'm not really sure if they're still managing minutes or what but he's a bit of a bit of a headache for so rare managers with a selection right now yeah and actually there was a, a piece that came out ella or uh i don't was it vela himself that said you know this is a business and he's not got anything signed and his contract ends june 30th so um, there is some immediate, you know, trouble in paradise there. If, if that can't get over the line, it kind of seems like both parties want to get it over the line, but man, I mean, him coming out and saying that kind of seems like there's still something to be decided there. A few, a, like maybe a month ago, it seemed like all of this was already kind of set in stone and he was going to sign again and be there for another year and a half, but yeah, we don't know. So definitely want to keep an eye on with LAFC there, but 
man, do they have some talent. They were hanging with Seattle at Seattle and they didn't have Vela. They didn't have Chiellini and they still have an open DP spot. There's three world-class players that are going to add to that team that Seattle couldn't put away. Um, man, I don't know. And Seattle themselves, like, I think we, I feel like we talk about this every year. Seattle is kind of, always off to a sluggish start, especially when they're in the Champions League, which is to be expected. They actually go and win the Champions League this year, and now they are laser-focused on MLS. They are cooking, man. Like, one four out of their last five before this game. Obviously took the draw in this game, but, man, when they get all the pieces together, Ladero looks healthy now. If they can get Rui Diaz back, and then um, what's his name? Ariaga goes out with another hammy. Um, yeah. So, and, I mean... Um, they're missing... Um... Um, what's his name at the back? The other Yamar. Yamar's out. So maybe that's yep. something to watch uh, for the next few weeks at least. Uh, yeah. If that has an impact, but yeah, they, they just look good. They got so so much quality. Like if you think losing a player like Jao Paulo, you know, yeah. you think and Rui Diaz has been out for a lot of the season, and they're just kind of seamlessly taking along. They're bringing, you know, Riznak had a good game, got himself on the score sheet, which. I know you were happy about having just yeah, picked I was. him up. But, um, I was. Yeah, it's, yeah, we're going to be there or thereabouts. Look at just, – just for comparison, look at Kansas City versus Seattle, right? Both have lost two really elite players, and Kansas City is absolute garbage, and Seattle is cooking. Like, it's just two completely different games that these teams are playing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was a really, really impressive one. Um what about LA Galaxy and Portland? That was the next game. I guess we'll just go chronologically here. LA Galaxy Portland was the next game of the weekend. I didn't stay to watch this one, um, but you did. What were your impressions of um, of the Galaxy? I know there's a, a Jovalich Chicharito conversation going on now. Um, what are your impressions of the Galaxy? And then Yumi yeah, Chari getting on the score sheet for me too. So. Yeah, with the Galaxy, I'm not sure that is the conversation. I think the the issue uh, for Greg Vaney is with them too. He, he could fit them on the field together because what happened, Victor Vasquez went down in like the 30th mm-hmm. minute um, and he had to come out injured and he brought um, DJ on. And they they look good together. It's clear they could play on the field together. I think it's more of an issue of preservation of minute management, the reason why he sort of doesn't play them together as often as maybe he should. They haven't really got anyone else who can do that role. And, you know, they're still in the U.S. Open Cup midweek. And I yeah. think that's more of a reason. I think towards the end of the season, maybe when some of these midweek games are done, we might see more of DJ and Chicharito partnering up because he's, yeah, I mean, he he makes an impact. He's just an impact player. And that's what you want from your attacking players. He brings something different. He's young. He's sort of, he's got that youthful sort of exuberance. He's confident. He's absolutely flying right now. And and realistically, the Kevin Cabral, I just I want to see something from him. I just don't. I mean, I watch a lot of the yeah. Galaxy, and he's just, <laughs> he just I'm sort of waiting for something to happen, and it just seems like it's not going to. Obviously, Douglas Costa's been a massive flop, injured. Um, Grand Sir, I like Grand Sir. He's industrious. He's a good winger. Um, but yeah, like DJ brings something new. Chicharito, I think that's the thing to look out for the rest of the season. If they can spend more time together from the start. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Galaxy are kind of good enough that they can be looking towards the playoffs quite comfortably. And they're just kind of managing the minutes a little bit right now. But 
Yeah. Um, it was a close game. I mean, on the other side, the Timbers, like before the game started, you'd have probably thought Galaxy might might be a decent favourite in this one at home. Um, but the Timbers look good. Uh, the, the Chara brothers, I mean, I don't know if you saw the goal, Yimmy Chara, he absolutely burned like about three players, like unbelievable pace at his age through the midfield and took the goal really well. I mean, he's obviously a, been a top player in the league for a while, yeah. but um, just proves it again. And his brother, he's, I think he's like 34, 35, and he's still buzzing around, like playing 90 minutes. So, um, yeah, I nice think, to see. Him. Yeah, I think Diego Char has been there since Portland started in like 2011. He's been there forever. Um, yeah, and he just he just continues to just eat up ground and eat up minutes. And yeah, they're both the absolute class. But from Portland's perspective, like this is another blown lead. They can't keep dropping points like this. Like, this is just not sustainable. This is a team that was in the MLS Cup final last year and lost it on penalties, I believe. Yeah. Um, I think it might be a little... nowhere close. Like, I think it just might be too, too little, too late for Portland at this point. There are some positive signs. Like, I mean, I haven't watched too many of their games, but they didn't play bad. They look like a good team. I'm kind of surprised yeah. with their kind of their results so far. Um, I mean, they've got and they've got talent. Like, I mean, something of note is Felipe Mora got his first minute since a long, long injury. I think mm-hmm. he was their top scorer last year, so that's a good sign to build on there. Obviously, uh, Mia's Goda is a good striker too. So they've got some firepower. They got Blanco in behind, a very technical player, and um, I think who's the winger? I think Moreno. I think the winger was like Moreno. He's young and he's he's quite lively. I, I like the look of him too. I don't think he has a card on Syria. But I know yeah. I thought he was pretty good because I, I was watching the game and I, I searched him, but Try he hasn't got a card up. yet. But, but yeah, I mean, disappointing season, really, for the Timbers. Um, the one I mean, thing with Portland, I will say, they're just like Seattle. They can just – some years it's just like this where it's just like, yeah, they, it's just not their year. And then they get to August and they just click it on and they just go. Um, so, I mean, you know, they don't ever count the Portland Timbers out of the playoff race. But yeah, it needs to, they need to start picking things up. That's for sure. Um, let's talk about Red Bulls in Toronto a little bit. I watched the first half of this game because obviously the big one that we're going to talk about next was on uh, after halftime. But the Red Bulls Toronto game, Red Bulls again, and this is kind of what Red Bulls do to be fair. Red Bulls come out in the first 10 minutes and just light up Toronto. They had chance after chance after chance, put one away. Um, and then after that, for the next 35-ish minutes, it was kind of just a slow Toronto-controlled drag, I guess. Um, Toronto had a few chances that they probably should have put away. But Red Bulls just seem so, like, they are flying around almost too much at the beginning of games and getting just too tired, and then they can't play defense after that. Um, but that, yeah, I, I mean, mean, that's what I saw. What did you see? No, uh, I watched the game, too, and it was – it looked – I mean, you can't knock it like they – it, it looked like they just came out with a haymaker first minute and just Toronto was stunned for the first 20 minutes of the game and they just couldn't put like three passes together. Yeah. They were pressing, uh, the Red Bulls were pressing really, really well actually and they looked fresh after our conversation last week. We thought maybe, you know, it's hard to keep that press up and even we're talking now, it's hard to keep it up for 90 minutes, let alone week after week but it was impactful because it got them the first goal, you know, they went... They started on the front foot. They got an early, early goal. And that makes everything a lot easier at that point. Right. And, yeah, I mean, like, I, 
it was one of them where like Toronto grew into the game definitely, but I think it was a little bit off the fact that they were like uh, the Red Bulls had the lead and they were like, well, well, let's see if we can bed in, save our legs till half time. And they Toronto created some chances for sure, but they managed to keep going one nil up at half time, which is kind of perfect what they want. And uh, yeah, I didn't watch the second half. I saw the the goal. It was pretty cheeky. Uh, yeah. Cheeky goal from Lucini as I saw the highlights there. But um, yeah, I mean, Toronto is just missing. Just, I mean, like maybe Insignia is that spot because they can do it, especially going forward. They still, yeah. even in this game, were putting together some nice um, transitions, some nice play. But defensively, they just an absolute shambles. I think Salcedo went off again, actually, um, later in the game. So I don't know whether that's something to look out for on the injury front. But, yeah, they well, really speaking, need to shore up defensively. Speaking of injuries, how big a miss is Jonathan Osorio? Because you're saying they couldn't string three passes together. That's Jonathan Osorio's job. Um, so part of me kind of wonders had he been fit and he was kind of questionable going into this game. So it's not like he's too far away. I don't think, but had he been fit, would this be a completely different game? And you, you alluded to it earlier, the Red Bulls go up one, nothing early. And I think that's key for them. They have to get ahead in those first 10 minutes when they're pressing like crazy people, because if they don't, then they're out of gas and it's nil nil. And the other team just starts to put their throat, you know, foot on the throat. Um, so I think it's kind of a dangerous game that Red Bulls play, but the, it worked out for him in this game, kind of kind of boomer bust. But um, yeah, this was kind of a. Yeah, I, think like, yeah. I think the problem with a, the Red Bulls strategy is that it, it, it's kind of effective against the worst teams, quote unquote, in the league yeah. because they can't play through it. But right. if you get just if you're thinking where, like, say they come up against the Seattle. And they're pressing like that, and you've got ball players like Ruznak sitting yeah. in that hole, and he's got the ability to turn it around the corner. And you saw it the few times that even Toronto, with their limited, you know, they've got Michael Bradley didn't have a bad game, but he sort of he's not going to be completely yeah. covering every uh, blade of grass anymore. And the few times they did just break the press, the Red Bulls looked uh, shambles at the back. You know, like there right. were, were some chances for Toronto in this game, and it really shouldn't be. So I do fear that um, they have to be maybe more careful against certain teams away from home because you, they, they really are – like we talk about like Liverpool and these other teams pressing, but it's almost even more gung-ho when I was watching the game yesterday. They're just sprinting everywhere, pressing in their other teams' 18-yard box, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I do fear for them if they come up against the better teams who can move the ball um, – Past the press, then they they might uh, yeah like you said boom or bust you can see it going one or two and, way. And when you do that style and you play a lot of games and you go deep in the U.S. Open Cup, which they play New York in the your NYCFC, they play uh, a New York a Hudson River Derby later this week in the U.S. Open Cup. When you add all these extra U.S. Open Cup games and you add in all this extra stuff, it, it gets to be a lot. So. Um, we'll have to see if they can keep it together. One one thing I do want to shout out my guy Aaron Long, who's the only Red Bull I've ever liked. Um, he was class in this game. He continues to just shut people down. Um, so Lewis, yeah, Lewis, Morgan, Lewis, Lewis Morgan player. too. He was cool. yeah. yeah, he's very good. Um, but yeah. And I'm not biased because I own both of those players, but it's fine. 
Yeah, had a nice week this week, by the way. We had, we had a lot of points scored on my teams this week. You're in, you're in for some rewards or? Uh... I think I've got three tier twos coming and in, in E threshold, something like that, which I don't like. My teams are not that good. Like we don't, we don't normally do that. I'm happy to get one reward a week. There you so, go. Yeah, we were, we were balling out this week. So um, there was another game that happened in Chicago that I don't really, we don't even really need to talk about, I, I would say. Um, really kind of a, a non-issue here. DC is just kind of garbage. I mean, it was actually hard to watch this game. Like my eyes were hurting. I was having flashbacks to like 2015 when MLS was just, there was no quality anywhere on the field. Like Shakiri was out, Taxi wasn't playing well. um, And it was just flat out bad. Um, Yeah. I mean, DC, Chicago. Oh, I had, um, I had our game on the Pittsburgh Riverhounds game of the USL. And I'm like looking at these two games. I'm like, honestly, I think the USL game is probably better quality right now. Like these guys are moving the ball at least a little bit. Um, what did you think? Obviously, your your side comes out on top. Did you have more rosy opinions about this game? Um, no, it was a poor game, wasn't it? And I, I mean, I've got to lump the blame on DC for the most part because I did think Chicago were a better team. Obviously, they're at home, um, but I was, yeah. I mean, I was watching thinking man like you 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 had barely any sustained possession nor did Chicago to be fair but we had a couple players who like I thought Gaston Jimenez had one of his best games of the season in the game I thought Chicho essentially played really well out the back and there was a couple of bright sparks um Chris Mueller played really well I thought and Brian Gutierrez in the 10 coming in as a youngster He's not setting the world alight yet, but there was some there was some positives in the game. It was an absolute must-win game probably for both teams. Um, yeah. But it's also now bittersweet because watching that performance without, unless Shakiri's back next game and uh, we were missing Jairo Torres too, I just don't see, yeah, I just don't see it happening. We just, we kind of would, I thought we, uh, Chicago were the better team, but they just really didn't create enough chances even saying that, you know, so... Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe fair getting the one nil um, gives a little sweat. But yeah, they need they need Shakiri and Hiro back quick, and I'm not sure what the timeline is on uh, on those injuries. So yeah, we can move on. We won't won't rub it in too much. Uh, <laughs> they they were the better team of the two worst teams in the league. Let's put it that way. Um, what did you think, real quick, before we move on here? We were kind of texting back and forth during the game. <laughs> That was a red card, was it not, on on your guy? Like, you you had kind of, like, initially said, yeah, I think they're going to overturn this and it's going to be a red card. Um, how was it not a red card? Yeah, I mean, we don't speak about it too much because it's not really relevant to so <laughs> rare, but, like, the referee in, in the MLS yeah. is horrendous. It's Sometimes it's just, like, I mean, I might, if I can get around to it, make a compilation of, like, the hypocrisy of, like, decisions because I've seen, like, <laughs> some of the softest penalties, like sending offs you will ever see in this league. And then this one was a dangerous tackle. It was accidental. Uh, it was kind of coming in at the wrong angle. And uh, I can't remember who it was for you. Just uh-huh. nicked, in front, nicked in front of him. And it was a, and he caught him high up, high up on the ankle. And like nowadays, yeah. like you, if we give a yellow, it would have been like, yeah, the ref didn't, give nothing, didn't even give a yellow card. And then they're reviewing it. And then when you looked in, when you slow it down, it obviously looked really pretty bad. Yeah. I was like, oh, 
I was like, he's walking now. Um, which it was all, it was almost in between because I would have felt a bit harsh in the sense that like it wasn't he wasn't trying to hurt him. It was a bad time challenge rather than like a malicious one because it was in the middle of the park. It wasn't like yeah, and it, it was just a kind of a weird like it was off of a little weird. There was a challenge just before it. The ball broke and like he came in and timed it wrong. Um, but then at the same time, if he gave him a red card, there couldn't have been no qualm. So yeah, maybe there's a bit of bad luck there for you, but. Um, it was it was studs up on the ankle on it, and this is Nahar too. And I get that it doesn't matter who it was, but it's Nahar who's come back. He's had injury problems his entire career. Was like playing at Anderlecht, was off off to the races in Europe, was going to be a star, and then just had injury problems and could never stay healthy. And he was healthy finally last year and was brilliant. And then this year again, back to the injuries, and he comes back first game. This happens. Uh, I don't know if he's hurt again or not. I'm too scared to play him in my team, but I own him. Um, so I don't know. We'll have to see. But yeah, it was like, it was almost one of those where he goes over the ball with his studs and like goes right into his ankle. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a bad challenge. It, it, re- it really looked like his ankle was absolutely in trouble. Um, but yeah, that was, that was an interesting one. All right, I want to move on now. Um, let's talk a little bit about this Dallas Whitecaps game because I watched that one. I know you didn't didn't really get to see that, um, but it was kind of the nightcap for me before heading off to bed. I um, yeah, I'm really impressed with this Whitecaps team. Like I keep saying this, and people keep kind of writing off the Whitecaps, and even the Dallas announcers were like, "Well, Dallas just can't get results against the Whitecaps," and like everybody's getting results against the Whitecaps. When you really look at it, though, like they have been hot for the last, aside from the Seattle game, which was a disaster, they've been hot for the last month, month and a half. And they're kind of shooting up the standings. Like they're getting to be in the playoff picture after being dead last in the entire MLS about a month ago. Um, and this team has got talent everywhere. Like Cavallini, somebody asked me about Brian White. Like, why is Brian White not playing? It's just like, where is he going to play? Like Cavallini's on fire. Caicedo is great. Dahomey is great. They can't even get Ryan Gold on the field anymore. He came on as a substitute yesterday. Um, so it's great when you have these guys that you can just bring in off the bench to make a real difference for you. And then this this new guy that they added, Kubas, I believe, <clears throat> he made such a big difference for them defensively, which has kind of always been where they've been a little shaky is you don't really know if, they're, if they can hold up on the back. And Kubas made such a big difference. For, for the first 60 minutes, Dallas didn't get anything going. And then they brought off Kubas, and immediately Dallas just started pounding the Vancouver goal. Couldn't actually break through, but they were definitely trying. So I uh, definitely keep an eye on the Whitecaps. I feel like I've been saying this all year. I feel like the two teams that I've been kind of harping on all year that have been, quote, unquote, down for everybody else has been Vancouver and Seattle. Um, just keep an eye on Vancouver or not Seattle, sorry, Cincinnati. I don't know why I said Seattle, um, Vancouver and Cincinnati, but just keep an eye on the white caps. Like they are coming, they are getting there. Um, as far as Dallas, I mean, they had everybody available. They're at home. There's really no excuses for, for Dallas on, on this one. They just got beat. Just not, not the better team on the night. Um, I have been fairly busy today, so I haven't gotten to see much action today. But apparently you have been uh, watching some stuff today, um, Nashi. You had Atlanta and Miami. Um, obviously, Atlanta gets the big 2 nothing win. What were your takeaways from this game? First of all, we got um, a bit of an obituary for our boy Bobby Shuttleworth. It looks like <laughs> his career has 
his career has come to an end here. He's running the team. I think they are bringing in a new goalkeeper. So it kind yeah. of makes sense for them to give Rios Novo some minutes. They don't see a significant drop-off in between him and Shuttleworth, I don't think. And there's no point in sort of, I don't think they're invested in Shuttleworth anymore. So long-term, it made more sense to give him a run. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel kind of bad because I'd listed Shuttleworth and um, I saw the news that he wasn't starting. And then I checked my uh, account and uh, someone had bought, bought him off me overnight. So it was wow. finally some some run good on my part. But um, so sorry for whoever that was. I mean, it was only like 0.16 or something. It wasn't disastrous. But um, but yeah, Bobby's out. It looks like they're bringing in a new goalkeeper. Yeah, um, yeah they started well. Atlanta, um, Araujo, really nice finish. Martinez. Joseph Martinez looks a lot sharper than he has done prior. I think this, you know, he's been trusting his fitness again, and then he had a few weeks off here, and he just looked pretty sharp. He he, he set up the goal, and Araujo uh, buried it from outside the box. Um, Marcelino Moreno looked good. They're still obviously missing Almeida for I think another two games after this one. Yeah. But yeah, Alana looked a lot a lot better this game. They looked they looked good. George Campbell came in next to Franco, and I think they were playing um, Alex de John prior to this game, and uh, he had a good game. But all of this is sort of under the umbrella of understanding that um, Mota playing uh, instead of Gregory in a defensive midfield managed to get himself two yellows in a space of about four minutes in the first half hour of the game and got himself sent off. So... Mm. Although there were impressive performances, it was made a lot easier by kind of a rash decision on his part. Um, to be fair to Miami, they didn't fold straight away after that After that red. They still were, were in there. Uh, Capagna, Lasseter was getting some space out wide uh, when Lennon was sort of bombing forward a lot. So they did have a couple chances. That, I mean, taken away, I guess they can be kind of proud how they reacted they didn't just fold like I feel like if this had happened at the start of the season yeah. they go down a man after 30 minutes they might have just you might have just seen five six and nil because they just you know like in Austin to, yeah, yeah they had bad mentality you know like sort of epitomized by Higuain just sort of shrugging and I feel like they at least gave a good run of themselves so they can take some positives but um one nil down away at Atlanta with all that attacking talent in the space, it was kind of inevitable that uh, at that point, Atlanta would have come away with a three points. And yeah, we'll see how they do from here. I think they can definitely make it. They definitely have the talent to make a run uh, for the playoffs too. So they'll, they need to start picking up these three points and they have today. Yeah. So we'll see, see where they get on from here. They can kick They've on. got, um, yeah, they kind of burned their, quote-unquote easy schedule they played a lot of the bad teams in the last like month or so and weren't really picking up results so it's gonna get tougher for Atlanta um but they could be on their day they're unplayable you know like they have got attacking talent for days and Joseph Martinez makes a huge difference in that team um so now that he is back um I think I saw I think I wrote um, for predictology this week it was something like Atlanta's won 12 of the last 17 games when Joseph starts and they've won like two out of 12 when he doesn't start. Like it is absolutely tremendous how much of a difference that he makes 
to that team. Um, it's, just, it's just he's yeah. um, like people know what he can do. The defense knows how dangerous he is. Yeah, and that just he just occupies that fear that they can't leave him. So it occupies. It just opens up space for the Araujos, who's right. got bags of talent, to Moreno and Almeida when they come back. And I think it's not only what he does sort of in the game, it's also the psychological impact where, yeah. you know, he's occupying the minds of the back four all the time because he's sharp movement, he's trying to find pockets. And that just leaves the space open for them, sort of that layer of talent behind him. And that, you know, really helps the whole team perform, like you said. 100%. Yeah, Atlanta's dangerous, especially at, at the Benz. They're dangerous with Joseph in there. Um, let's talk about Nashville because they are – I don't know. I kind of felt like after they got through their run of road games that they would start to click a little bit and kind of turn it on. And this is one that you really think they should have had. Like against Sporting Kansas City, one of the worst teams in the league, if not the worst team in the league. Well, no, we said DC is the worst team in the league. Um, man, I don't know. This is this is one they should have had. Is that not right, Nashi? I mean, it's hard to say because I watched the game and they they didn't really they weren't the better side. Um, I just don't know. I don't know what. Yeah, they they have their identity, and everyone knows, right? They stoic at the back. They were missing Walker Zimmerman, obviously. Um, but Randall Leal's out going forward, so they're missing a, two of their best players there. But at the same time, they just yeah, they just struggle to offer much. Like uh, they've been really disappointing, really disappointing. Um, Willis kind of. Didn't cover himself in glory again. Um, and one standout thing from this game that I kind of, we were talking last week off air and something that I just can't get my head around when we refer to Carlos Hill, I was sort of saying, why do these teams not just stuff him out? Like just stick an absolute terrier of a player, a dog on him, follow him around, don't leave him within four feet, just follow him around all game, Make sure he doesn't do it. If they're going to beat you, let someone else beat you, right? Yeah. And sure. to be fair to uh, SKC, and they obviously have a very good coach, but they did that. They recognized that with Haney Mukhtar in this game. Because Haney, when he's got space, he can hurt you as much as anyone in the league. And they just didn't let him get in the game. You could tell yeah. their game plan was just like, we're going to stop him. And then that kind of just flatlined the Nashville sort of creativity going forward because they are lacking in in um in that area anyway. And I thought it was really sort of smart, good coaching, good execution. I really liked um Cam Duke actually made a huge error for the Nashville goal, but he was brilliant the rest of the game. Really lively, busy. Uh Remy Walter, Voltaire, I don't know how you say it. Um yeah, he was kind of sitting in and just um and I think it was Hernandez as well in front of him really so the two youngsters really buzzing around so much energy, cutting off the sort of passing lanes into Mukhtar. And then Walter Voltaire was sort of shadowing him all game. And they really did a good job at it. Um, so, yeah, really, really well-executed game from Kansas. And then, yeah, I'm worried about Nashville. Very concerned there. Um, I don't yeah. really know. Yeah, I just don't see – I just don't really know what it can do. They seem like they just don't have the talent. Forward. I mean, I, so I've been like getting ready for baseball and like playing, you know, playing baseball, the show and um, 
kind of watching a few baseball games because Sarah's coming out with baseball and we're going to try to do a little bit with that. And it's kind of like in, in baseball, there's a saying like the difference between a good pitcher and a great pitcher is a good pitcher has a good fastball. A great pitcher has a great changeup, like a great second pitch that they can go to when the fastball is not working. Nashville only has one pitch. They only have that fastball. If you can stop that, you can stop them. Whereas a team like Seattle, they have like five pitches, right? They can go any which way and you have no clue how to stop them. That's what really makes a team great. And I don't, I don't know that Nashville's there. They, uh, they may have some work to do in the transfer window here if they want to, uh, to kind of pick it up, but we'll see. I mean, Nashville, they've, you kind of give them the benefit, benefit of the doubt with their past couple seasons, um, having just come into the MLS and being this successful, um but i mean atlanta came in and was super successful for two years and then they've kind of not been the same team since then so maybe that was just kind of a a one-hit wonder for nashville i don't know we'll have to have to kind of see but good for skc to kind of get get at least a little something um are they off the bottom of the table now are they still on the bottom i don't know Uh, i think they are Um, no they've crept off san jose's down there san jose uh, i mean we spoke about RSL sort of saying they kind of on paper look like they've got not much going on, but when you watch them on the eye, they just kind of got talent. They're effective. They're really effective in games. Yeah. And Severino made an impact. He got an assist and a goal, I believe in, um, in this game. So yeah, I mean, they're still some, they're second in the conference now, sort of out of nowhere. And they've got kind of a decent run of fixtures coming up. So um, yeah, good luck. Good for them. Good for that city. I mean, um, boy, that that ownership has done a fantastic job this year, packing that place out, packing Rio Tinto out. I think they've won like seven of the eight games there, something like that. Like nobody's going into Rio Tinto and winning, which is kind of absurd. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, we were kind of talking about that a little bit earlier. Big, um, big win for yeah. New England as well. Um, yeah, it was a yeah. really nice free kick from uh, Gustavo Bo. To win the game, okay. I know you're you're not his biggest fan, but he uh, I'm not. I, only saw, I only saw the highlight of it. I also I saw, saw the first the, goal. Did you see the first goal New England scored? Yeah, um, some was it some pretty poor keeping from some very uh, poor. Yeah. yeah, I don't. Yeah. I still don't think Tyler Miller's in play yet. But boy, that was a howler. That was like um, that was like England versus the USA bad back in the 2010 World Cup. That was bad. Yeah. Um, Let's see. We've got uh, we've got some predictology to get to this week. Um, so we have a full slate of games coming up next week. Um, predictology. So he likes his favorite game this next week is Montreal, the one point seven two against Charlotte. Um, so that's a fairly healthy favorite. Um, but he likes he likes Montreal against Charlotte. He says, as we mentioned before in our analysis, Charlotte home and away are two different sides. They've yet to win away from home. Montreal's home form is mixed, but our models say they should be a lot heavier favorite than they are, and they provide the best value this weekend. Um, what do you think about this Montreal-Charlotte game coming up this next week? Charlotte obviously has to go north of the border here. Um, they have two points on the road so far. One of them was in Columbus this weekend, so maybe they're turning it around on the road? I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely – think that Montreal should be decent favorite here. So if he's if he's going for the win, I mean, yeah, maybe Charlotte 
Charlotte aren't terrible, yeah. Like away from home, they've been officially terrible, but um, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna struggle. I, I, if I'm a Charlotte fan, I'm thinking, can we can we nick a draw from this game? That'll be a a draw will be a win if if that makes sense from sure. the Charlotte uh, standpoint. Going up sure. there, Montreal have been good. Yeah, if they can if they can get a draw from the game, they'll be happy. But yeah, I, I'd have to agree with uh, Montreal being a heavy favorite on that one. I was talking to a friend of the friend of the show, Bob, uh, Bob Flynn, Orange Fly, um, and he was telling me that essentially Charlotte is playing this newer coach that they have. Essentially, he's playing all the veterans that are kind of more, you know, there's not as much upside, but they don't make as many mistakes. Um, so he's got a bunch of guys in there, and he's not playing guys like Jalen Lindsay. He's playing Harrison Awful, like that kind of thing. Um, so maybe that makes them, I don't know, more consistent. But yeah, I was I was actually impressed. I, I had wrote that I thought Columbus would beat them this weekend. Um, so they proved me wrong once. Um, I'll probably pick Montreal next weekend as well, um, just like John did. But um, yeah, we'll see. Charlotte, I mean, Charlotte's overperforming, I think. Well, it's a good bit of business. You've got to give them credit where it's due. Getting, Shin Yashiki has made a yeah. massive impact. He's just getting goals yeah. for them. And that's kind of where they were struggling. I mean, Swiderski didn't even play. Uh, this last game and um yeah like they've got they've got some pieces but yeah they've done some good business there so hopefully they can build off that um yeah speaking of howlers how about the how about the one kalina gave away this weekend did you see that one no i didn't Columbus scored oh it's bad goalkeeper just trying to play out of the back and kalina he's a great goalkeeper but man does he just make some dumb decisions sometimes he's had like two or three of those this year where it's just like what are you doing um so yeah, that's Charlotte is his favorite pick. His next well, one's just, DC. Just, Look at this. Just, just to go back to the Charlotte, yeah. though, like if they are looking for some hope, I mean, I don't know if you, saw, I didn't see the game, but I saw the the highlights, and Montreal just lost that home to ten yeah, man Austin. True. true. And I like, I don't know if they can watch. I didn't watch the game, but maybe they can take a look at the game plan there because that, that's a I, that's a surprising result. I mean, Austin in a good side, but. They went down yeah. in the first half to 10 men. And just, uh, see, just see if Austin will loan them Sebastian Driussi for the weekend. That'll be, that'll be yeah, nice. That'll work. Um, he's got DC in here. Look at this. He didn't want to pick against them either. Um, DC United have an 18% performance uplift at home, and their scoring expectation goes up 24% at home. Nashville are coming off a home loss to Seattle and have performed a little a little above expectation this year. So we could be about even out in the coming weeks. Um, so he's saying that they're a little over what they should have been and they could kind of drop a little bit, which is interesting. Um, they do sit second in the away performance table. Only one of those wins has come in the last four with two away defeats in this sequence. He's picking DC United to beat Nashville in DC. That's, um, that's bold. I'll give John that one. That's bold. I don't know what the odds are on that, but yeah, good for John. What do you think about that one? I mean, they're the two worst performances from this past weekend. So it's kind of like a, a wooden spoon race, we say. But there you go. Um, yeah, we, we, I mean, yeah, I mean, like you, you, you created some chances. I mean, Taxi on his day can can get a goal, sort of, or create something out of nothing. I think it's going to take something like that. Um, Randall Leal did come back into the game for Nashville when he does make an impact. Uh, they were kind of pushing for the equalizer at the end there, so. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give it a draw. 
I'll give it a draw to be nice to you. I, I, yeah. I can't back, I don't I can't know. Back D, I can't back DC to win a game after what I just saw. Yeah, it's tough. It's very tough. They looked very bad this weekend. Um, in fairness to him, he is doing this against the spread. So, like, if DC is a pretty heavy underdog, then that kind of plays into, um, which I kind of expect him to be an underdog at home. But, um, yeah, there may be value there, even if they aren't, even if they shouldn't win the game, they could still be value there. It's kind of kind of a difficult one. Um, this is the last one. How good was it? How good was it to see Joseph back in an Atlanta shirt? We talked about this earlier. He makes such a big difference to this team. Next up, they have a, a trip to Toronto. Um, and we have this game marked down as one of the goals for this game week. Historically, these games used to promise us goals, but we haven't seen three or more goals since October 2019. He says that will change this weekend. So talking about Atlanta versus Toronto, when they play each other, they haven't scored three or more since October 2019. Toronto are second and Atlanta are fourth in the average goals in their games at 3.3 and 3.0 respectively. This season, Toronto have seen over two and a half goals in 77% of their matches, which is way above the league average of 52%. Um, he says, if you can get value on over two and a half goals, go for it. Expect an entertaining game with an Atlanta win and three goals in the match. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Toronto, watching Toronto defend um, this week, I'm not backing them to keep a clean sheet. And I think they lost no. Salcedo too, so they're really in trouble there. And they were they had some moments going forward where they looked they did look like they could do something. Atlanta has not been great at the back either. So yeah, I, I, I'm not going to argue with them on that one. I think I think I think we'll see some goals in that game for sure. Do you want to know something shocking? Toronto has not kept a clean sheet in their last 26 or seven MLS games. Like, okay. yikes! Um, yeah, I think we'll definitely see goals on that game. Um, I. Atlanta still scares me on the road and Toronto is still like not bad. So like, I, I don't know about the Atlanta win, but I do think there'll be goals in that game. Um, so yeah, fair play to John three awesome picks. Um, we'll see how he does. We are not confident on DC United for the record, um, but we'll see how that, how that all plays out. Um, as always, this analysis brought to you by predictology. You can find all of their information in the description of the podcast um anything else that we need to cover here nashi this has been we've gotten quite a bit into this episode had a great interview with tom kind of whipped around watched most of the games this week so really did a lot of work this week uh, anything else we need to cover no i think we've uh, we've earned our we've earned our uh, salary this week which is zero by the way if you guys are <laughs> uh, you guys are wondering <laughs> um but yeah awesome awesome thanks to tom for the time we will definitely try and get him on again as the transfer window continues and we get to see some more um some more movement around the league but appreciate it you guys have a good rest of your week All right.